as Pastor Jacques has said, my name is Awonke Mbangi. <clears throat> I'm one of the leaders here at church. Uh, I'm married to one wife. And, uh, <laughs> and I have two kids. I almost said I'm married to an administrator. But, <laughs> uh, but I'm married to one of the ladies uh, at the hosting table. <laughs> Uh, and the Lord has blessed us with two uh, beautiful kids. Uh, unfortunately, when we are both serving, we can't, uh, we can't bring them. They become a handful. So it's best to keep them at home. And uh, yeah, you'll see them one day if you haven't. Um, so I'm going to, the title of my sermon is Rejoicing in the Desert. And it's, um, it's taken from Isaiah 35, and um, uh, I think a few months back, I started reading Isaiah, and uh, it was a time of, I think, disappointment in, in, in everything that is happening in our nation, and starting to question what the future holds. You know, once you start having kids and they start to grow, uh, you, you, you start to think what type of world would they live in? What, what type of opportunities will, will the world they live in present to them? What type of challenges will they face? And in thinking and factoring in so many different moving variables uh, within the world we live in, you, you, you feel a sense of heaviness on their, on, their, on their side. You know, kids these days cannot play in the street like we used to. Well, they still do, but as a parent, that's, that's taking a big risk uh, and, and, and in, 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 in terms of, you know, just the, 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 the type of world we live in today. And, and I was feeling very, yeah, very, very deflated, if I may, in terms of the vision and the hope of specifically South Africa and and, 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 and that picture I have in my mind of a South Africa that works for all of us, and a South Africa where we've, we've reached wherever we are supposed to be going, and our problems don't seem or feel as insurmountable as they sometimes feel. And so uh, I'm always guarded not to have that picture perverted. And I started feeling like the enemy was challenging or perverting that picture in my mind, because uh, that's where we draw strength from in terms of hope. And we, okay, so I'll just start reading. Um, I'll just start reading here. So I stumbled upon Isaiah in that state in a, in a few months back. And, and it's been something I've been reading constantly to try and build up the hope that we have in God, the hope of the future. So it reads as follows. So you can follow in the screen or you can follow in your Bible or follow as I read. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. 
He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the highway of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not, they will not be found there but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. So when I started reading this, this book of Isaiah, I was lost from the first uh, verse uh, that speaks about rejoicing and being glad in a desert, in the wilderness, and in a parched land. You know, when you are uh, in, a, in a space where you are very sinister, anything positive sounds like too far-fetched. <laughs> so I read that and like, yo, no, this, this prophet is losing me already. Because you know when you're feeling that way, you want God to tell you when you run into your own corner and shut the world out and let the world deal with its own problems and you just mind your own business, which is really what some people have done in responding to you know, what has happened in the last while. I'm not sure if this is, I mean, are you hearing me correctly? Oh, it's not too much. Okay, so because really when, when you look at it, the wilderness is a place that is very difficult to, to habit. The, the, the desert, you know, extreme temperatures, um, a parched land is a land that is dried up of any water because it's been hot for too long and, and, and very little rain. So there's very little to, to be excited about when you are walking or you find yourself in a wilderness, in a desert or a parched land. I mean, unless you are driving an air-conditioned 4x4, uh, driving over sand dunes for the day, I mean, then the desert is not too bad. <laughs> but in the context of, of, of this wilderness and desert, it's, it, is, it is set in a time in the Old Testament where none of these things, uh, air-conditioned 4x4s, existed. And every time, obviously, we, we hear about the desert, uh, we, we know it's, it is hard times. So how do you garner enough uh, strength to start rejoicing and being glad while feeling the heat and the reality of having to go through a desert with scorching heat, scorpions, and little water, little food, and little shelter to, 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 to shelter you from, from the harsh temperatures. And even in the natural, you know, animals flee parched places where uh, places that have dried up of rain and, and, and grass and food and all of that. So it's, it seems so contrary to the natural that uh, you are then told that this desert 
will be cleared. And God um, started, uh, you know, as I was reading through this, and I was, uh, uh, and I started feeling more hopeful as I started reading it. Obviously, because the picture of hope starts being restored. Uh, and I also um, started just reading about uh, some of the people that comment on Bible verses. And one of the ladies mentioned that, you know, in the desert is also a place where the people of God learn to trust God. Because when you walk in the desert, uh, physically or spiritually or, or metaphorically, you know, all the handles of, of the things that you are used to are just taken away. There's a stripping away of the normal. There's a stripping away of the things that you are used to, the things that you've trusted, your abilities, you know, the, the people you used to know that if I call this person, they're always there. You know, the, the job, you know, some people have lost jobs in this time. You know, they've lost their ability to take care of their families. Some people have lost businesses that have taken them years to build up. And you at the end of your working life and everything you've invested in the four years of work has just been taken away. So how do you then start rejoicing? Or how do you encourage someone to start rejoicing and being glad while in that um, state of affairs? And you also think about the wilderness because in that element of trust, uh, when you've realized that all the things that you have uh, put your trust in for good reason because they've worked previously uh, and now all of a sudden not there. Um, even you speak, if you think about the people who've, who've walked in the desert a considerable amount of time, the children of Israel, you know, even when they were still slaves in Egypt, uh, they had a routine, they had work that they did that they were paid for. Yes, it was exploitation and everything, but that's why some of them when the difficult times hit in the desert, started saying to Moses, we'd rather maybe go back to what we know. Uh, you know. And we know how the story turns out. You know, In that state of not being able to be self-sufficient, God takes care of them. You know, they start eating manna from heaven that their ancestors have never eaten. You know, they, they, their clothes, the Bible says, you know, it never wears out. And, and so many of these different things, because God removes everything that they've known, and they're literally having to trust in his sovereignty. They're literally having to trust in the fact that he will not leave or forsake them. And so that element of trust is really something that is built up in that space of not knowing um, where to turn to, not knowing where the answers are going to come from. And um, for me, those are, those are the things I feel, uh, those are some of the things I've lost in, well, I, I've not lost them now, but I was losing in this last two years. Some people have lost things financially. I can't say I have, you know, but it was that image and that hopefulness of the times we're living and when we are going. Because I'm, I'm a very, I think I'm a very positive person most of the time. And I was starting to lose that. And, and, and in reading this scripture, this, this passage of scripture, that began to be restored. Another thing I was starting to lose was compassion for me. I, I was starting to be fatigued from having to be compassionate all the time. Uh, it felt like there was no break. There was this story happening. There was this losing a job, someone losing a family member, 
uh, a friend of mine I grew up with who's in jail, uh, his mother passes away, the following week his uncle passes away, the following week his other uncle passes away, and, and it's just devastating for a little sister who's now having to be old. She has to be grown up now. Her older brother is, is in jail, his mother has passed away from, they all passed away from COVID. And, and it was just such a, a sad thing. And you hear that, and you hear another thing, and you hear another thing, and you feel like, God, I, I don't know if I have any capacity left in me. You know? And to a point where you start not wanting to respond to prayers, I'll pray for you. Because I don't want to just say, I'll pray for you, and it's not coming from a place of, I'm feeling your pain. Because I'm a person who likes feeling people's pain, not taking it upon myself, because I know it's theirs to carry. But in being a human, it's always good to feel people's pain in order to understand the things they're going to. And once you're now starting to listening only with my head and not with my heart, you know, you start to see that, you know, the impact of this deficit is real. And you struggle to, to rejoice, as the, as, as the scripture is saying. But, but we know God. You know, we know that uh, nothing that can happen under the sun is insurmountable to him. There's no situation, scenario that he doesn't redeem. And in verse, my mouth is very dry. In, in the, at the end of verse 2, he says, The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will also see, see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And if you look at that picture, it's so different from the desert situation, you know. God is able to bring that level of provision. Because when I see that green I see fruit, I see provision. Uh, our God is able to turn desert-looking-like situations into uh, areas of abundance. And, and, and that's what I grab, grabbed hold of, of you know. And... Uh, because God is a God of redemption, you know, and this, 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 um, this beauty, you know, Lebanon and, and, and Kamal and, and Sharar was just reading up on these places, and they're very different from the desert in the Middle East in the sense they are very lush, green, vegetated areas. Lebanon is where the cedar trees that were built, uh, were used to, as built material to build the Temple of Solomon. This is where some of those trees came from. So there's, there's very tall, beautiful trees that grow there, lush vegetation, and very different from desert places. And, and this is what we hope for when we're going through those hard times, that God intervenes. And this is also not just only spiritual, but it is physical. It's, all, it's not just metaf metaphorical. It's also material, you know. Uh, in, the, in, in our journey, as we try to trust God to intervene, in the wilderness, in the desert, in the parched land. It is not only a hope that we have in a spiritual context, but God is able to transcend that into the material, change scenarios, physically change things. And um, you look at different scenarios in the Bible where um, God has intervened. People who you would say were experiencing desert wilderness conditions. You know, you look, I, I, just reading also on the story of Moses, sorry, of David, 
where you see David being rejected, there's an element when you read the Bible of, of realizing that David was not treated equally amongst you know, his, his, his brothers. Uh, for some reason, I, I'm not, not sure why, you know, but um, even when Samuel comes to anoint, um, and this is expressed a lot in that scenario, when Samuel comes to anoint the king from Jesse's house, he's not called by his father to be amongst the people there. Uh, even when he's bringing food, I think, to his brothers, they ridicule him, what are you doing here? But we see God turning around David's situation where from ridicule, from being rejected and all these other things, we see him becoming the next king of Israel. And, uh, and I wrote here, the stone builder, the, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. And, and alluding to the life of David where, you know, he was not the chosen of his father, but God, you know, stepped in and, and, and really redeemed him in that situation. We also read of the story of Ruth, you know, a young Hebrew family moves to a foreign land and all the men in that family die and the mother-in-law is left with the daughters-in-law. And one daughter-in-law, Ruth, decides to move back and leave her home, her country, and move with the mother-in-law without the husband because she's elderly, she's old, she can no longer take care of herself. And as a woman living in the Middle East in those days, your ability to take care of yourself without a husband or uh, male children was difficult. And so Ruth decides she still has youth on her side. She can still find sort, some sort of employment. And she accompanies her. And now she becomes the foreigner in a foreign land uh, by choice, while the other um, daughter-in-law chooses to remain behind. And we see how God, even there, that desert situation, that desert scenario, that wilderness experience they're having. He intervenes there, and there's material change in their lives because we know how the story ends. You know, she marries Boaz, a wealthy, a wealthy man, and, and you, you know how the story ends there. And I, I mention this to say, sometimes we can think uh, when we are experiencing these situations that uh, this is the first time this is ever happening. I'm the only person who's ever went through this. And in our pity parties that we throw ourselves or in those dark nights of the soul that Pastor Jenny mentioned two weeks ago, those are some of the things that the enemy would have us believe. But as we read the Bible, we realize that there's nothing new under the sun, you know, and God is still powerful even today, you know, to redeem situations, to strengthen feeble hands. And th this is where I started reading this, this, um, this, this, um, this passage of scripture. It reads, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees <clears throat> that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. You know, I'm sure many of us have found ourselves, you know, with feeble hands, with knees giving way, and with hearts gripped by fear of some kind in the last while. And, and hands and feet are very significant in the Bible. Uh, you know, there's that scripture that speaks about us being the hands and feet of Jesus. But more than that also, 
you know, hands speaks of the work that God has given us to do, individually, corporately, as nations, and feet speaks of the land that we need to take, you know, in terms of entering into a space, taking land, taking territory that God has given you as a person, as a family, as a country. And when we have hands that are feeble and knees that are giving in, we can never fully take in those things that are God given to us. We can never hold with bruised hands properly the things God has told us to hold. We can never walk long enough to reach the places that um, God has, has given or has destined us to. And, and, and uh, when we've allowed fear to grip our hearts, you know, I, I've found myself being fearful in that time. And uh, just when I thought I've called the police to chase out Mr. Fear, uh, he comes back again and knocks, <laughs> somehow managing to find an opening, you know, and it becomes a constant uh, thing. That's why it's important to read regularly the Bible, although it's a hard thing to do, uh, working kids, and yeah, it doesn't happen every day, uh, unfortunately. But uh, when it has not happened in a long time, it's so easy to fall trap into these things, where the enemy comes in and grips your heart with fear and painting all sorts of images about the future and lies that we grab hold onto and, and deceive us. And, and so one of the things, I think, I think it was Anne that shared it a while back, speaking about spiritual apathy, where it's becoming very hard for you to respond to the things of God because you're just like, done that, been there. You know when you when you're walking around with a nonchalant posture, uh, it's a very dangerous place to be. And I've seen many believers being in that space and seeing the problem is also not seeing something wrong about that. And uh, because you, 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 we always need to be a place where we are sensitive and responsive to God speaking. Uh, because God speaks and he doesn't shout, he whispers. And when, when, when we are not always attentive to his whispers, to his nudging, we miss a lot. And sometimes he gives warning signs before you hit a ditch, a pit. And if we are not focused on him, or if we are not intentionally finding that voice in the midst of the many voices that speak in our heads, it's easy to miss those warning signs. Uh, because he's always speaking. Amen? And and it says in verse, um, in verse 4, he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And when he comes, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where Jacobs once lay, grass and reeds will grow. And that's what happens when God comes. In, in the book of Mark, I think, it speaks about signs, wonders, and miracles following those that preach the gospel and follow Jesus. God confirms the preaching of the gospel through 
signs, wonders, and miracles. And when God comes in situations, these are the material things that we start seeing. Uh, so it's important for us not to have a hope that is only in the spiritual context only, but a hope that transcends even the physical realm that we live in, where real life situations being turned and evidence of that being seen by even those who don't believe in God. And, and, and for me, um, it's, it's important that we contend for that in our lives, in our country. Uh, I was saying to people that, you know, I hope that we've been trying, people, I don't know how to put this, but people have been trying to get certain people to book. And I'm not talking only politically. In business, there's corruption, political corruption. So there are people who've been chased all, the, all around the world, all around the country, to, be, to come to book for the things they've done wrong. For me, my prayer is, instead of chasing and wasting all these monies on court, whatevers and whatevers, for me, I'm praying that the fear of God strikes people's hearts who know exactly what they've done to come forth and say, can I meet with a judge? I need to tell everything that I've done. That's the kind of prayers I want. That's the kind of material prayers I want. For justice to happen not only in the normal way of people getting reported to the police, a case opened, an investigation happening, and then there's a tug of war between who has the most lawyers that are better, you know. But for people to, to, to for the restoration of the fear of God in people's hearts Amen. to come over and those people coming forth and negotiations are done with regards to how best to deal with those scenarios. For me, those are the kind of prayers I wish we would start seeing coming and, 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 and God intervening in those, in those, in those, in those instances. But also, um, you're also thinking, uh, this, 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 scripture speaks of, this scripture speaks of a lot of things and a lot of scenarios changing. It speaks of deserts being, being, being transformed. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, this is not how the story ends for everyone. Because that's another reality we need to contend with. You know, I start thinking about, you know, the, the Christians in Afghanistan. Their lives have been sandwiched between a war and a dictatorship by the Taliban. And you just don't see any reprieve for those people. And they were being persecuted and killed, paying for their lives for following Jesus during the war. And the same is happening in the current dispensation that is taking over in Afghanistan. I think of my grandmother, who's, who's really, she's been blind for about 10 years now, I think. And we've been praying for her. But she's probably 93, somewhere there, born in the 1920s. And we have not yet seen breakthrough in that area. Um, think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached the gospel lived in the wilderness, preached the gospel, got arrested, beheaded, did not live to see the full extent of the ministry of Jesus that he was, he believed that was my purpose in life. Think of Moses, the one of the greatest leaders, you know, we, we could speak of, you know, leading over a million people out of slavery, 
away from a, a king who wanted, who changed his mind, wanted to kill them at the end. Uh, people who were stiff-necked and argumentative and complaining lived through the desert, but doesn't get to see the promised land. You know, the story does not end the same necessarily um, for everyone, because that's also important to acknowledge, because when we speak of, because the Bible doesn't hide those things. That's another thing I love about the Bible. It's full of integrity, you know, because it, it doesn't only, it doesn't take away the part where Moses doesn't get into the promised land. No, it actually says he didn't. He died. God gave him a glimpse of what it looked like, but he didn't live, you know. Same with John, you know, the gory details of him being beheaded at the request of the queen, uh, that is not hidden. And and to that, I believe the last part of this scripture speaks to that. Yeah. You know, a highway will be there. It will be called the, the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow will flee away. It speaks of a time that is coming for believers because we also need not make an idol of life, the life we live here on earth. This is not the full story of our journey with God. This is only but a piece that is still stuck in time. There's, there's coming a time where we live with God uh, and none of these things we are seeing as a result of sin that we are seeing as we walk around this earth will be there. You know, whatever it is that we could not have achieved or didn't come to see, because God is also a generational God, you know, and, and we hope and we pray and we trust and we've seen that whatever is not achieved in this generation will be in the next. And that's the hope that needs to fill our hearts and not the despair or sorrow of wanting to see everything now here. So there's a tension that we need to hold where we are trusting with all of our hearts and with all of our minds that God intervenes in our situation. But we don't lose hope. We don't lose trust in him when we see these things not happening. Because we know that, you know, it, what's that? A day to God is like a thousand years, something like that. So, so some of our problems, when we look at it in the context of God, are really not that significant. And some of the toil and the struggles that you go through as an individual with your business, with your studies, with your child, with your family, sometimes that lifespan for you seems like the worst four years of my life. <laughs> but really it's just four years, imagine, and you live until 90. You have stories to tell from that time. So for me, uh, as I, I just literally started reading this in very simple, like just studying, and the hope, I could feel hope coming back about a lot of things. And I realized that, no, we need to look at things within context. And it's so sad that people take their lives sometimes over 
the problems of this world. You know, it's, it, it's, 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 it's real that we can really lose perspective and context as humans. And, and I believe when we are constantly in reading the word of God, opening ourselves to hearing what others, what, what God is speaking through others about us. It's an important thing to do, to be connected in spiritual family, where even if you're going through, I mean, I, I was coming to church last year and some of, some of the turmoils of what I'm talking about were there, but I would not, not come to church because I knew that uh, in my helping, it's not only about reading this word alone, it's also just hearing testimonies, small testimonies of hopeful people, people who've lost a lot of money in their businesses, lost jobs, but they still can smile. And you're thinking, I don't have half of that, you know, and why am I, you know, but you also have to acknowledge and respect your own journey. Yeah. So in closing, uh, in closing, this is really a story of redemption uh, and how God redeems us as humans um, and brings us back to his presence, brings us back to the place where we were always meant to, which was in relationship with God. A place where we live abundantly. A place where there is no lack. And pray that we continue contending for that place until we see it more and more in our lives. And I just want to read something Anne sent in the group um, on Reviving Hearts this morning. And it tied in so well with what I was sharing. I was struggling to decide where exactly should I read it. Um, good morning, family. Some thoughts to encourage you. Jesus, this season feels dark and scary. Hold my hand and lead me into your peace. Remind me again that morning always comes after the night. I prayed this prayer from a devotional this morning, and God surprised me by saying the following to me, about this darkness and scary season which seems to have no end. No, beloved, it's not about the morning following the night. These times are going to get darker still. It's about finding the light in the darkness. It's about being the light in the darkness. It's about living in the light in the midst of the darkness. If you keep your eyes fixed on me and your heart and imagination fixed on my promises, then you will live in light and the darkness will not be able to overcome it. I want to use this very darkness to draw men and women and children to me. My people's light in the darkness will attract the lost, the lonely, the afraid, the agnostic, and even the atheist. Let your light shine. Keep it burning bright by saying in and meditating on and declaring my promises. Keep your oil topped up like the wise virgins by feeding your spirit constantly with the truth. My word, be the light. I, like many others, have been hoping for a way out of this new normal. But God reminded me today that it's not about escaping. It's about finding him in the midst of the darkness and allowing his light to fill us and shine through us. No matter how dark it gets, his light never goes out. 
even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous. But the lovers of God walk the highway of light, and their way shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Can we please stand? Can I ask Anne to come and pray? Um, pray over that, um, that light that we need. Father, we stand. <coughs> Father, we stand before you this morning and we acknowledge that there are times when we just want to escape. But that's not your plan for us, Lord. Help us, Father, to gra grasp a hold of what you have promised, to grab a hold of the truth of your word and to stand on that word that you give us. To look at scriptures like Awanka has shown us today and to remind ourselves of your goodness in the land of the living, your goodness in the desert, your goodness where there seems to be no way, you will make a way. Father, help us to focus our hearts and our minds on the truth of your word and to go forward and from strength to strength. Help us, Lord, to show and to, and to be the light in the darkness that we live in. Father, as the darkness increases, may the light in us grow stronger and stronger and stronger until the full day, Lord, so that we may be a light set on a hill that people may see and people may come and people may be healed, people may be delivered, people may be born again, people may be, may be changed, that those who do not believe in you may see you and believe. Father God, may we be the light that you have meant us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. It says here, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come. And I just, I'm reading the scripture, but I know, you, you know, sometimes you read a scripture and it just like, there's a double tap in your heart. It's like, this is for you. I want us to, if you're feeling that is for you, I'm actually just going to read it again and let's, let's speak the scripture together. It's verse 4. I don't know. Have you got it up there? Um, it's verse 4. Um, let's see if we can get it on the screen. Let's just say it. Uh, we're just going to go until where it says, um, Behold, your God will come. And it says how he will come. But I just want us to stop over there. There we go. Uh, your God will come. We'll just read up until there. Isaiah 35. Let's read it together. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. 
And Lord, we speak that for everyone. We speak that. Lord, may that be a declaration that comes from our hearts. Be strong. I speak to Jacques. Say, be strong, Jacques. I speak to Zinzi, be strong. I speak to Spinello, I say, be strong. I speak to Lysander, I say, do not fear. I speak to Einstein, I say, do not fear. Your God will come. And then it highlights the ways he comes. God, there's sometimes that you, we want you to kind of airlift us out of a situation. And there are other times that you actually get a parachute, Jesus, and you come down and you come and you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though we say, Lord, I get us out of this valley. I don't like this valley. But Lord, you work, walk with us, Lord. Pray that we would just know the reality of walking fearlessly in paths we really would rather not be walking on, Lord but walking with you. Lord, there's so much that happens in our hearts when we walk in those spaces with you. Thank you for this reminder, Lord. Lord, we just pray a blessing upon a wonky. Lord, thank you for his transparency. Thank you for his, his just his honesty about where he's been. I know so many of us. Lord, we, we resonate with that. Thank you. Lord, thank you that he used words that we felt in our hearts and maybe haven't even wanted to acknowledge, Lord. Thank you just for using him in this way. Bless him. Bless his family, Lord. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Greet somebody as you go. Please do. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www that his people pmb.co.za and for more of our messages visit our youtube and soundcloud channels as well as other podcast platforms if you would like to contact us please email us at his people pmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877 to join us for in-person services Visit us at 154 Birkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.